0: Krukop to the corner for carries and intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the game podcast.
1: Greetings Buff fans from see you at the game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the see you at the game website and your host for the see you at the game podcast. Today I'm going to be joined by my BFF Brad Geiger and we are going to take a little look into the see you at the game mailbag, our first ever trip into that type of forum and we're going to discuss some questions concerning the 2020 college football season, different options for making that happen, and our projections for what might actually happen. We're going to take a look at the CU roster and some updates that have been taking place on the football roster here in the past couple of weeks. And then we're going to take a way too early look at the 2020 schedule and our projections for CU's record for the 2020 season. And just as a reminder, we are now available on all the different podcast upload sites, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you'd normally find podcasts. And if you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, if you'd like to give us a five-star rating, and perhaps even leave a comment, that would be much appreciated as we grow the See You at the Game podcast going in towards the 2020 season, what we hope will be the 2020 season. Thanks for listening. Now we're going to get to the see you at the game mailbag, and joining me once again is my best friend and best man, Brad Geiger. How are you doing, Brad?
0: Doing great. Um, The lack of live sporting events is beginning to get to me, but uh, other than that, trying to survive like the rest of us are.
1: It is what it is, apparently, is our, our motto of the month. So we will just persevere the best we can and muddle through the best we can, and keep hopefully paying attention to CU sports and there will hopefully be more news in the near future for us to actually talk about.
0: Yes. It, uh, you know, we are, well, we were going to be an off season anyway, but it would be nice to at least have spring practice to discuss. Yes. We as would, you said, it is what
1: it is. We would be in the middle of spring practices going towards our spring game on April 25th. I was looking at my calendar today and I already had the spring game marked off on April 25th. And it's like, well, not so much. It is early April and I did put out a call for some questions for a see you at the game mailbag and for future reference. Anyone that wants to submit questions for future podcasts, it's just see you at the game at gmail.com. Brad, we've got a couple of questions we want to go through. Uh, I'm going to give you the first one from Jeremiah H. Thanks for sending that in. Given the three scenarios you laid out in a poll recently, A nine-game schedule with all conference games, a full season with no fans, or to start the season in November and end it in April, which would you prefer, which do you believe to be the most likely to occur?
0: You know, I can't accept any scenario that you play in front of empty stadiums. I mean, I know TV controls it, I would love to watch, but... I mean, isn't the point of college games to have people there to cheer and to watch it? And I just find giving in completely to the idea that this is just a TV sport to be counter to all that we love about college sports. Um, So, you know, I reject that one. And I just, I can't, playing over Christmas, playing through all of January in Colorado, As a last-case scenario, I can guess I can see that, but I think it's unlikely. Um, I think we are probably going to see a delayed conference schedule. I think those are the important games that I think people want to see. I think it allows still some version of college football, and I think it allows people to have some sense of normalcy to see those teams come into those stadiums and do that. So I think that's both most likely and probably the one I would most prefer.
1: Okay. What would you do with uh, Notre Dame? <laughs> well, I, I mean, have specific opinions about Well, Notre yeah, yes, so we, <laughs> yes. But, I mean, uh, you know, they would want to play USC and Stanford. So now yeah. do the USC and Stanford have a 10-game schedule? And what do you do with, you know, conference games that are played early in the season? You know, that USC and Stanford have played early season conference games and then played, you know, Notre Dame later in the year. So if you're starting October 1st, you know, how would you ferret that out? And of course, then you've got the, you know, our good friends in the SEC, they only play an eight game conference schedule. The same with the ACC, whereas everyone else plays a nine game conference schedule. What constitutes a, a conference season? What do, constitutes a full season in your in your mind?
0: I think you know. Like, of course, the scheduling the scheduling is is chaos. No matter what you do, no matter which scenario you pick, how yeah. do you schedule football games over winter season? If we're going to have a basketball season, for example, how does that money work out? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's for the independents, BYU and Notre Dame. Maybe they for one year play any conference.
1: Yeah, you know, maybe maybe Notre Dame plays in the ACC and therefore we can add this together and sure. figure out how that works. I don't know that there are there are no good answers. There are no easy answers,
0: you know. But fans pay attention to the conference. Yeah, and I think that is where if this isn't going to be about servicing TV, then you play a full one and you don't care about the fans. If this is going to be about servicing fans, then focus on the conference games.
1: Yeah. Well, let me throw this at you. I mean, I I agree about the the no fans is really kind of a non-starter simply because, you know, that's what college football is really about. You know, you want tailgates, you want the band, you want the cheerleaders. I mean, the pageantry, the tradition plus of just looking at the numbers, you know, it's not an insignificant part of the budget. Uh uh-huh. ticket sales. See, uh, you for example, 2019 I had a 91 million dollar budget, and about 35 percent of it, 31 million of it, was from the Pac-12. So that's your TV money. There, everybody thinks we have to have, knows we have to have, because you, you know, that's what drives the bus is the TV money. But for CU, as an example, 23 percent of the budget, or just over 20 million dollars, was ticket sales. Jeez. So if you go with no fans, you've just lost about quarter of your budget before you even start so I, I agree that the no fans is it might make sense from a medical standpoint but we're not going to get into that because we're not uh smart enough to do that but you know just from a, a monetary and just a common sense standpoint but i did kind of like the idea at least you know maybe starting in late october early november take off for christmas play some games in january and february take off March because you're not going to have CBS that has the contract with the SEC for football competing with itself during March Madness and then have bowl games after March Madness. So you have like a month off and then you could have your bowl games in April. At least, you know, from a calendar standpoint, there could be an argument made that you could get away with something like that and might be, you know, holding people's interest that you do a normal, keep the schedule as it was, you know, in October, November, as much of it as you can. And yeah, home games in Boulder in February, uh, not so much, especially then, of course, you're, like you say, are you competing with regular season basketball games? It's There's no easy answers. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, we've got, All right. some, we, yeah. You want to do the next one? Or you want me to take the next one?
0: Here, well, why don't I give you
1: this next one? Okay. Uh, from Arvada Buff. With the decommitment
0: of Braylon Nelson, three of the four commitments CU had when Mel Tucker left have now decommitted. A sign of the times, or is this something which concerns you about this coaching staff and its ability to recruit?
1: Well, it, it's certainly not good optics, especially since all three, um, two from the class of 21, one from the class of 22, uh, we're all Colorado kids. So, you know, one of the major fears that Buff fans had Going forward with the loss of Mel Tucker, was that he and his coaching staff certainly seemed to have their recruiting priorities in the right place and had recruiting going in a very positive direction. Uh, you still have Coach Shiverini, you still have Coach Hagen, uh, the new quarterbacks coach Dimitris Martin coming to us from uh, Arizona was a you know a very uh, well regarded recruiter. If this were a normal, and putting normal in quotes there, if this was a normal spring and we were in the middle of spring practices and we were not only not getting new recruits, but we were losing the ones we had, that's red flags. Uh, that's 4th of July kind of stuff. But I think right now, at least until there is some sort of idea of how we're going to do this going forward, you got to give the, the coaching staff a pass. What, what would you think?
0: You know, it's just... I think everybody is unsettled, and the fact that you know 17- and 18-year-old kids are equally so, that they don't know what's going to happen or mm-hmm. how it's going to look, and that they're keeping their options open. I agree with you. This is such an unusual offseason. There's just no way for us to know what this means or how it's going to work. We already knew it was going to be a weird recruiting because of the late hiring of Carl Durrell. But I'm not as concerned, as, as you said, as I would have been You know, obviously, we need to start putting some names in, and I would, you know, would love to see them as they come. But I don't know that decommitments means we're not going to get those boys, and I don't know that decommitments in this state means that they can't recruit.
1: Yeah, I, I think for now, hang in there, Buff fans, and we'll we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. To you know, December's still a long ways away, but in terms of picking up a similar. Or, related question came from Dale R. What do you make of CU picking up not one, not two, but three walk on tight ends in the last week? Is this a sign that CU will actually be throwing the ball to tight ends or just a reflection of a thin roster position being filled?
0: Well, I think, you know, there's no reason it can't be both. There's, um, and tight end recruits can be moved around because they are the right body type to do different kinds of things. So, I, think part of it is that, that they're signing athletes to see if they can come in and contribute in some way. Many of us have, however, for years advocating for the concept that tight ends can still play college football. <laughs> uh, and, you know, they've committed, you know, we have a, a second-generation tight end coach coming in. I hope that he's being given some consideration. So I think it's a little bit of both. And, you know, we've got space. And these appear to be people who can at least athletically compete and come in. And a, you know, a guy who can potentially play tight end can also run down and make tackles on kickoffs
1: and punts. Yeah, I think there is some depth being added there. I mean, the names we're talking about, there's Nick Fisher, which is not the Nick Fisher we've had before, but um, coming to us from William Jewell College, a Division II school. I'm not sure about that one particularly, but Matt Lynch, former Colorado High School uh, prep star and uh, coaching staff's got some grief for not signing him when he went to UCLA. He only played tight end this last year, but he was a holder on kicks. And that's not something you want to just ignore um, because Alex Kinney was uh, our punter and holder on kicks for the last four years. So it's, you know, even if you're just filling something that seems like a minor job, It's only a minor job until somebody makes a mistake, and then it becomes a major thing. So, if Matt Lynch does nothing but be a perfect placeholder on kicks, or you know, he might have earned his keep, especially as a preferred walk-on. And then Jake Peters um, is a California recruit that actually was recruited by Coach Severini, and still has two years of eligibility. So maybe there's some, you know, still some fruit on the vine there. So I I agree. I mean, it's uh, not splash. Kind of signings or you know uh, news on that end, but you know it is something where yeah, if there's some depth, and maybe they can play. You're certainly not losing anything by having there's a preferred walk-on. You're not chewing up one of your eighty-five scholarships, and uh, you know we'll we'll see see what happens with them. And uh, welcome to the Buffs.
0: Well, in in kind of similar depth news um, from Scott Frost's worst
1: nightmare, which. That... That's my. It's an
0: award for a great screen
1: name. That's 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 my favorite uh, name. So yes, uh, we get bonus points for uh, for creativity in uh, emails. So Scott Frost, worst nightmare. That's a thank you for that one.
0: Yeah, is the return of Sam Neuer to the quarterback room? Good news, bad news, or not really any news?
1: Well, I mean, I'd say it's certainly you know good news in the sense that there are only two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster: Tyler Lytle and you know, true freshman Brendan Lewis. Neuer obviously knows the team and reportedly, you know, is well thought of in the the locker room. That being said, there is some question as to whether or not he will actually ever, you know, see the, the light of day, uh, you know, actually be on the playing field. But I don't think it's a negative thing to have three quarterbacks on your roster and, you know, have that emergency quarterback if you need him. One negative sidelight to it would be uh, the news that he – Neuer was coming back, uh, again, we're talking optics here and what, that's all you can talk about in April when you have no spring practice. It came a day after Boston College quarterback Anthony Brown, a three-year starter for the Eagles, announced that he wanted to transfer to Oregon. Um, so if you could have gotten a three-year starter on your roster as opposed to a third-string quarterback that was already on your roster... If you're talking purely optics, that's not a great look. But I don't think, again, there is certainly any harm. You want to have three quarterbacks, a minimum of three quarterbacks on your roster going into the season. We've seen that many times, how many times we've been down to the you know third string quarterback um, because of injury. So I don't have any problem with them being back, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be a, a game changer for the roster going forward.
0: Well, and of course, it's an advantage in practice. You know, quarterbacks get banged up. You need two quarterbacks in practice at all times to keep your scout team to play against your off, against your defense. That kind of thing. Um, he brings stability. Hopefully, he can you know work with a true freshman to try to help how to read that kind of stuff. And you know, he's out there every day. He's practicing. He's giving people different looks. You know, he uh, yeah he may never win a game for us. But he, by all accounts, is a guy who goes goes out and puts in the work, and you can't have too many of those guys in the quarterback
1: room. Yeah, uh, I'm never gonna you know be negative about anyone that wants to wear the black and gold and and put it, like you say, put in the time in the weight room and uh, go all the practices. Wish him the best, and and glad to have him. Um, I got one for you, Brad. This is sure. this is one from San Jose Buff. Other schools on CU schedule and I'll just insert there, including Colorado State, got up to half of their spring practices uh, in before students were told to go home, any chance that CU will get to make up those extra practices? Or will the bus get the fuzzy end of the lollipop once again?
0: I have got to think that at some point, the NCAA is going to find some way to bring some equity to this. If they don't, of course, and all this depends on how they're going to do the schedule and everything else. But I would suspect, particularly if they're messing with the schedule, that there's going to be a time where the NCAA is going to look at what practices look like and how it comes. And I would hope, you know, my faith in the good faith of the NCAA is relatively limited. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would hope that, it, that they will try to equalize that to some extent. So that, you know, additional fall practices, something to give teams a chance to catch up. All of this depends on whether or not at any point we're going to be allowed to gather in groups bigger than family size.
1: Yeah. I would hope that there would be some equity. Um, Even Rick George's press conference last week kind of hinted at that. He said, I don't want to sound selfish, but hey, wait a second. You know, we've got a brand new coach. It's ironic, well, maybe not necessarily ironic, but the three teams in the Pac-12 that didn't have any practices were the three teams that had brand-new coaches. And there's certainly some logic to that, you know, in the sense that teams with new coaches, you want to push back your start of practices as much as you can so you can get your coaching staff together and, you know, get the players to know the coaches and have the coaches put together, you know, proper spring practices. But there are other teams, like Arizona State had seven and like I say, Colorado State had seven of their fifteen practices, and I think that's a a pretty significant advantage. That even though they're not practicing now, at least Colorado State, and not that that makes them any great. I, I'm not talking about them beating us or anything, but just if you have the opportunity as a new coaching staff to have some practices, so that you know when you're trying to talk to them online or doing Zoom meetings or whatever, you can say, "Now, okay, I remember we talked about this in practice." When you're coming out of your stance, you got to do this. Or when you're running your pattern, you were doing this wrong. At least there's something there for those players to be working on that they got from those coaches that the CU coaches don't have the opportunity to do. That being said, I could see that the longer that this gets delayed, the less of an advantage that becomes because the more everyone's going to kind of be in the same boat is going to kind of kick in that. There's going to be have some extra fall practices for everybody that, you know, I, you know, it might be a little de minimis at that point. If we get to the point where everybody just has 20 fall practices, it starts in mid-July or something like that, or, you know, whenever practices are allowed to start again, that, you know, instead of having 15 practices before the start of the season, everyone's given 20 practices before the start of the season. And I think you can hope that the CU coaching staff would be prepared for that. And be lot, you know, in a position to make that work. Carl Durrell, I think I wrote down a quote of his. I'm not looking at this as being a detriment just because I'm new. Everyone's dealing with this. I know there's some institutions that may have already finished spring, or maybe halfway through, or maybe in the first week. I know that they're all on the same guidelines and have the same standards of what's going on right now. And I think that's the probably the best attitude or the right attitude to take. Uh, Going forward, you know, as we talked at the opening, I mean, it is what it is. And if programs that didn't have any practices get to have some makeup practices, maybe start a week before the other schools do in the fall practice, if that's what we end up with, uh, hopefully you'll find a way to even out. But, yeah, the fact that CU missed out on a bowl game, the fact that CU didn't get any spring practices, the fact that CU has a coaching staff that was put together in late February, uh yeah, uh, not not positive signs. You know, hope that this coaching staff will be able to overcome that.
0: Yeah, we've already known they were going to have to overcome stuff. So on to more historical stuff from Tom E., who's got to work on his name. Um, I enjoyed your story about meeting Rick George, and it got me thinking, how long have you known Lance Carl? If my math is correct, you were in school at the same time. Have you known Lance since your days in Boulder?
1: Uh you're correct uh Tom E on the the timing uh early mid 80s we we're both in school but Lance Carwell was a uh, star athlete and a big man on campus and Brad who knew me then can testify that I was all but neither of those um so no um I did not know Lance Carl in undergrad uh the story behind our meeting Goes back to 2011 or 2012, and I know it has to be one of those two years because John Embry was the head coach at the time. One day, and the website at this point had been going on for a couple of years and still finding its way, still finding an audience. And one day I just got an email out of the blue, and it's just, you know, a nice email that I got, you know, maybe once every two and a half blue moons or something, just saying, you know, I like the website, keep up the good work, you know. Thanks for what you're doing. Go Buffs. And it was signed or, you know, the name was Lance Carl. And I saw that and I went, I immediately wrote back and I said, Lance Carl, the Lance Carl, the Lance Carl that scored a touchdown on the first play of the fourth quarter of the 86 Nebraska game, that Lance Carl. And Lance probably at this point regretting that he'd sent the first email uh wrote back and said yeah that's that lance carl and so we got to writing back and forth he invited me to come down to the buffs for life golf tournament and this is why i know it was 2011 or 12 because he introduced us to you know then head coach john embry and eric b and brian cabral was on the coaching staff at that time former buff um and you know some other people around and stuff like that so we became at least acquaintances, and then he joined the CU administration. He was working in Denver um, at the time that we first met, and when Rick George got hired as the athletic director in August of 2013, he hired Lance, and it took me another year or two to get up the nerve to ask for an interview uh, with Lance, and he agreed, and uh, it's kind of gone from there. So, uh, no, I did not know Lance when he was a star athlete in the in the mid-1980s, but um, I have known him now for almost almost 10 years, 8 or 9 years anyway.
0: Well, and I, I will tell the viewers that uh, I can commit that Stuart was not a big man on campus when we were there in undergrad, but if you, as I have been fortunate to do, wander around with Stuart at tailgates before CU games, and he wears his CU at the game hat, Um, While he is not mobbed with fans, he is certainly recognized by those who are discerning and informed. So he has uh, improved his standing over the years.
1: (laughs) Well, that was big man only in the sense that if you were measuring by height. um, (laughs) uh, One of the taller men on campus, you know, but not necessarily a big man on campus. Well, we got time for one more. This is from Michael R. Uh, Gun to your head. If there is football in 20 or 2020 slash 2021, what will CU's record be? Do you want to kind of go through the schedule and kind of do some thumbs-ups and thumbs-down, or did you already come up with a number? No,
0: I mean, we can. I I, I thought about it more in a holistic viewpoint about what I would consider a success. But, yeah, we can talk about how it looks, and, again, we're presuming that we're going to play all the games. Correct. It is difficult to predict this as a bowl team. It is difficult to predict this as a team that's going to compete in the Pac-12. But if, if this team could win five, that is not an unreasonable thought. Six, obviously, most of us would be uh, pretty much jumping up and down for that sixth win. But, you know, when you look at it, there are, there are games to be had considering we don't know the quarterback, we don't know the offense, that kind of stuff. I don't think this is going to be, you know, unfortunate, one of those unfortunate one in 10 campaigns. I think we are better than that.
1: Yeah. I, I would tend to, I think I'm a a tad more optimistic, or at least I was until I actually looked through the schedule and tried to find, you know, those six wins that I could identify. So, I'm just going to walk through it real quick, and then you can tell me if you uh, if you agree with my synopsis here. Of course, the game, if again, if they are played uh, as lined out right now, a CU starts on the road at Colorado State, a team that CU's beaten five straight times, and a team that you know again, like with Colorado, has a new coach. If Colorado's going to do something other than one and eleven, you know this is going to have to be a win. Fresno State. Uh, also, a team with a losing record last season. Also, a team with a new coach. Games at home, games in you know the season. Uh, Carl Durrell's you know, first game as head coach in Boulder. You know, gotta hope that uh, it's as successful as Mel Tucker's you know debut against Nebraska last year. That certainly Buffs should be able to beat. Need to beat, have to beat Fresno State at Texas A and M's next game. I think you have to put an L by that. Um, there is some talk of you know, Texas A&M being a top ten team. I saw one sort of der- well, it was derogatory towards CU, but it was meant to be clever. Um, they were talking about Texas A&M and their chances to win the SEC, and they were talking about the non-conference schedule, which included a game at Clemson last year, and now you know playing Colorado and you know Vanderbilt in conference and stuff like that. And they're saying it was going from advanced calculus to simple algebra. Which, you know, you could take as a dig on Colorado, but I think compared to the two programs right now, you have to pretty much accept that one's going to be a loss. The home opener, Pac-12 opener and home is the Oregon uh, Ducks. And again, right now, not knowing who the quarterback is, not knowing how he's going to play the first three games, you're probably going to figure that's going to be a loss, even though Oregon is not as great as I think. They think they are, and they have Ohio State to play in non conference and they might already be out of the national championship race by the time we get there, so I have us getting out of September at two and two that sound fairly reasonable yeah, yeah. i
0: mean it, that that is that has to be the scenario yeah um i mean we've we've been to college station this this team is not ready to go there and beat that team, yeah, um, and you know Oregon for now has our number. And has the talent advantage.
1: Yeah. First couple of games in October are really kind of going to be telling. Uh, Start at at Arizona. It's a Friday night game. Um, Now we're going to be coming off of a bye. And Arizona's going to be coming off of a road game at UCLA. And Arizona, you know, finished behind Colorado. I mean, you won't see it in the preseason magazines, you know, when they start doing predictions and pick Colorado to finish sixth in the Pac-12 South. But Arizona finished last, and you know I believe on a seven-game losing streak to end last season. Kevin Sublin's probably on the hottest seat, this, you know, this side of Clay Helton. It's on the road, but there's no Khalil Tate, so who you know didn't play well unless he was playing against Colorado is uh, not going to be there. So that's kind of I have the uh, you know W slash L by. Uh, The next game at home, UCLA. The next two games are at home against UCLA and Arizona State. There's a lot of talk about Arizona State maybe being a top 25 team to start the season. I have a W by UCLA and another W slash L by Arizona State. I think we'll know more about both those teams. And then the last game in October is at USC. And, you know, Colorado is 0-14 all-time now. I believe against USC. I mean, I, I think until CU actually beats USC, you have to say that's an L on the calendar. Um, they have to uh-huh. prove that they can actually do it. So October, one win, one loss and two toss ups is the way I've got it.
0: Yeah. I mean, how we play against the Arizona schools always determines how our schedule looks. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's where we're at right now. Um, You know UCLA is down, thank heavens, and USC just owns us. So you know if we could even get a split against the Arizona schools, that would be. If we can get beat
1: UCLA in one of the Arizona schools, I think everybody in Buffland would take that for that month. That would give you another two and two month. That you know give you four and four going into November. And now November schedule at home against Washington State, at Stanford, at Washington. At home against Utah. Now, you could make an argument, you know, Washington State's going to have a new head coach, and obviously they didn't do as well. They finished 5-7 and like Colorado did. Stanford was 4-8 and last year. We don't know if they're going to rise back or if they're going to be, you know, looking for a new head coach by then or, you know, something's going to be different at Stanford. At Washington, I mean, yes, I understand CU beat Washington last year at home, but... I can't really foresee that as being a victory. And then Utah, yes, they're defending Pac-12 South champions, but they lose a whole lot of bodies um, from last year's team. But that being said, Kyle Winningham tends to find a way to win nine games every year, regardless of who's on his roster. So the problem there is trying to find, if you've gone two and two and two and two in September and October, then you got to find two wins in November. Uh, I think we take Washington on the road off the, off the calendar there. So can you find two wins between Washington State, Stanford, at Stanford, and Utah at home? you think you can find two wins there? Uh,
0: you know, Washington State's the biggest question mark. I mean, there was no team in the Pac-12 that was more identified with their coach than Washington State. That coach is now gone. We to predict what they're going to be like is, is as challenging as predicting what CU is going to be like. So who can tell? You know, I'd love to think that there's, I, I agree with you. Washington's not a chance. I've got to go with Stanford in that kind of situation, just given the level of stability they've got. Yeah. And so that leaves me with, can we beat Utah? And while that's not quite a Colorado USC situation. It's got its problems.
1: Pretty darn close. Uh, <laughs> at least you know since 20, 2016, you know obviously that was a big game, winning you know beating Utah at home to win the Pac twelve South. But other than that, it uh, it's been Utah for much of the last you know half decade. Looking back through the schedule, I have three wins that I think are pretty comfortable: uh, Colorado State, well, Fresno State, UCLA, all at home. I have four losses at Texas A&M, Oregon at home, at USC, at Washington, which leaves five toss-up games at Arizona, at Arizona State at home, Washington State at home, at Stanford, and then Utah in the finale. So I think I tend to get where you get with the five and seven. I hate to have a fourth straight five and seven season. You just know that the national pundits are going to have a fun day with that. Um, we don't know if the defense that played so well or was improving, at least in November, is going to continue to improve. We don't know how the quarterback situation is going to be. Um, maybe Brendan Lewis is one of the, you know, the freshman quarterback that surprises everyone um, and comes through like Khalil Tate kind of did and just kind of takes over an offense. I'm I would like to see a bowl game I'd love to see a bowl game I hope this team can get to a bowl game I think that would be a huge uh, plus going forward uh, in terms of recruiting and credibility for this new coaching staff but it could be a, a three and nine four and eight season and then we're just treading water again yeah and then
0: we're then we're begging you know we're hoping on recruiting
1: yeah which... we're
0: hoping that that. And we can score that guy or those guys who can who can make the leap.
1: Yeah, um, I do have a lot of faith in the class of 2020. That was a very good recruiting class, and to their credit, they've kind of stuck with Colorado despite all the upheaval. They may be contributing earlier rather than later, and maybe they're going to make the difference and get us over the hump. So let's we'll we'll leave it optimistic right now that I'm going to say that uh, we're going to get to six and six in a bowl game. And we're going to be very happy with the new coaching staff. But if we finish 4-8 and or 5-7, and I would not be surprised. For now, I think we're going to leave it at that. Again, thank you all for for listening. Thank you, Brad, for uh, taking the time to talk a little CU football in April of a season without spring football. And we will talk again soon.
0: We will certainly do so. And in the meantime, everyone will follow along and see you at the game.
1: Thanks. Thank you for being part of this episode of the See You at the Game podcast. We'll be using the See You at the Game mailbag again in the near future. So if you have any questions you'd like to have answered or have any comments you'd like to have us talk about, uh, just give me an email at seeyouatthegame at at gmail.com. I think our plans, uh, as we sit here in mid-April of 2020, with not a whole lot going on, we are going to be using the See of at the Game mailbag at the next episode, the next few episodes. We're also going to introduce a road trip segment. Uh, Brad and I, over the last 35 years or so, have traveled to any number of sites, any number of venues of college football, and we're going to share some of our experiences with you and ask you to share some of your experiences with us. So thanks for tuning in, and we will talk again soon. Go Buffs!
0: Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to seeyouatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.